Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. A very special thank you today to our Patreon and Anchor supporters. Scott Stone, Lauren Powell, Jordan Powers, and Christian Ann. And now, on with our story time. It was at this juncture that I began to awake, or at least to assume a condition less completely that of sleep than the one just proceeding. I recalled the fight atop the pyramid, the treacherous Bedouins and their attack, my frightful descent by rope through endless rock depths, and my mad swinging and plunging through a chill void redolent of aromatic putrescence. I perceived that I now lay on a damp rock floor, and that my bonds were still biting into me with unloosened force. It was very cold, and I seemed to detect a faint current of noisome air sweeping across me. The cuts and bruises I had received from the jagged sides of the rock shaft were paining me woefully. Their soreness enhanced to a stinging or burning acuteness by some pungent quality in the faint draft and the mere act of rolling over was enough to set my whole frame throbbing with untold agony. As I turned, I felt a tug from above, and concluded that the rope whereby I was lowered still reached to the surface. Whether or not the Arabs still held it, I had no idea, nor had I any idea how far within the earth I was. I knew that the darkness around me was holy, or nearly total, since no ray of moonlight penetrated my blindfold. But I did not trust my senses enough to accept as evidence of extreme depth the sensation of vast duration which had characterized my descent. Knowing at least that I was in a space of considerable extent reached from the surface directly above by an opening in the rock, I doubtfully conjectured that my prison was perhaps the buried gateway chapel of old Kephren, the temple of the Sphinx. Perhaps some inner corridor which the guides had not shown me during my morning visit, and from which I might easily escape if I could find my way to the barred entrance. It would be a labyrinthian wandering, but no worse than others out of which I had in the past found my way. The first step was to get free of my bonds, gag and blindfold, and this I knew would be no great task, since subtler experts than these Arabs had tried every known species of fetter upon me during my long and varied career as an exponent of escape. It had never succeeded in defeating my methods. Then it occurred to me that the Arabs might be ready to meet and attack me at the entrance upon any evidence of my probable escape from the binding cords, as would be furnished by any decided agitation of the rope which they probably held. This, of course, was taking for granted that my place of confinement was indeed Kefren's Temple of the Sphinx. The direct opening in the roof, wherever it might lurk, could not be beyond easy reach of the ordinary modern entrance near the Sphinx, if in truth it were any great distance at all on the surface, 
since the total area known to visitors is not at all enormous. I had not noticed any such opening during my daytime pilgrimage, but knew that these things are easily overlooked amidst the drifting sands. Thinking these matters over, as I lay bent and bound on the rock floor, I nearly forgot the horrors of abysmal descent and cavernous swinging, which had so lately reduced me to a coma. My present thought was only to outwit the Arabs, and I accordingly determined to work myself free as quickly as possible, avoiding any tug on the descending line, as this might betray an effective or even problematical attempt at freedom. This, however, was more easily determined than effected. A few preliminary trials made it clear that little could be accomplished without considerable motion, and it did not surprise me when, after one especially energetic struggle, I began to feel the coils of falling rope as they piled up about me and upon me. Obviously, I thought, the Bedouins had felt my movements and released their end of the rope, hastening no doubt to the temple's true entrance to lie murderously in wait for me. This prospect was not pleasing, but I had faced worse in my time without flinching, and I would not flinch now. At present I must, first of all, free myself of bonds, then trust to ingenuity to escape the temple unharmed, it is curious how implicitly I had come to believe myself in the old temple of Kephren beside the Sphinx, only a short distance below the ground. That belief was shattered, and every pristine apprehension of preternatural death and demonic mystery revived by a circumstance which grew in horror and significance, even as I formulated my philosophical plan. I have said that the falling rope was piling up about and upon me. Now I saw that it was continuing to pile, as no rope of normal length could possibly do. It had gained in momentum and became an avalanche of hemp, accumulating mountainously on the floor and half burying me beneath its swiftly multiplying coils. Soon I was completely engulfed and gasping for breath as the increasing convulsions submerged and stifled me. My senses tottered again, and I vainly tried to fight off a menace desperate and ineluctable. It was not merely that I was tortured beyond human endurance, not merely that life and breath seemed to be crushed slowly out of me. It was the knowledge of what those unnatural lengths of rope implied, and the consciousness of what unknown gulfs of inner earth must at this moment be surrounding me. My endless descent and swinging flight through goblin space, then, must have been real. And even now, I must be lying helpless in some nameless cavern world toward the core of the planet. Such a sudden confirmation of ultimate horror was insupportable, and a second time I lapsed into merciful oblivion. When I say oblivion, I do not imply that I was free from dreams. On the contrary, my absence from the conscious world was marked by visions of the most unutterable hideousness. If only I had not read so much Egyptology before coming to this land, 
this fountain of all darkness and terror. The second spell of fainting filled my shivering mind anew, a shivering realization of the country and its archaic secrets. And though some damnable chance, my dreams turned to the ancient notions of the dead and their sojourings in soul and body beyond those mysterious tombs. Tombs which were more houses than graves. I recalled, in dream shapes, which it is well that I do not remember, the peculiar and elaborate construction of Egyptian sepulchres, and the exceedingly singular and terrific doctrines which determined this construction. All these people thought of was death and the dead. They conceived of a literal resurrection of the body, which made them mummify it with desperate care and preserve all the vital organs in canoptic jars near the corpse. Whilst besides the body, they believed in two other elements, the soul, which, after its weighing and approval by Osiris, dwelt in the land of the blessed, and the obscure and pretentious Ka, or life principle, which wandered about the upper and lower worlds in a horrible way, demanding occasional access to the preserved body, consuming the food offerings brought by priests and pious relatives to the mortuary chapel, and sometimes, as men whispered, taking its body or the wooden double always buried beside it and stalking noxiously aboard on errands highly repellent. For thousands of years those bodies rested gorgeously, encased and staring, glassily upward when not visited by the Ka awaiting the day when Osiris would restore both Ka and Sol, and lead forth the stiff legions of the dead from the sunken houses of sleep. It was to have been a glorious rebirth, but not all souls were approved, nor were all tombs inviolate, so that certain grotesque mistakes and fiendish abnormalities were to be looked for. Even today, the Arabs mutter of unsanctified convocations and unwholesome worship in forgotten nether abysses. Horrors which only winged invisible cause and soulless mummies may visit and return unscathed. Perhaps the most leeringly blood-congealing legends are those which relate to certain perverse products of the decadent priestcraft. Composite mummies made by the artificial union of human trunks and limbs with the heads of animals in imitation of the elder gods. At all stages of history, the sacred animals were mummified so that consecrated bulls, cats, ibises, crocodiles, and the like might return some day to greater glory. But only in the decadence did they mix the human and animal in the same mummy only in the decadence, when they did not understand the rights and prerogatives of the Ka and the soul. What happened to those composite mummies is not told of, at least publicly, and it is certain that no Egyptologist has ever found one. The whispers of Arabs are very wild and cannot be relied upon. They even hint that old Kefren, he of the Sphinx, the Second Pyramid, and the yawning gateway temple lives far underground, wedded to the ghoul queen, Nitocris, and ruling over the mummies that are neither of man nor of beast.
It was of these, of Kefren and his consort, and his strange armies of the hybrid dead, that I dreamed. And that is why I am glad the exact dream shapes have faded from my memory. My most horrible vision was connected with an idle question I had asked myself the day before. I was looking at the great carven riddle of the desert, and wondering with what unknown depth the temple close to it might be secretly connected. That question, so innocent and whimsical then, assumed in my dream a meaning of frenetic and hysterical madness. What huge and loathsome abnormality was the Sphinx originally carven to represent? My second awakening, if awakening it was, is a memory of stark hideousness which nothing else in my life save one thing which came after, can parallel. And that life has been full and adventurous beyond most men's. Remember, I had lost consciousness whilst buried beneath a cascade of falling rope, the immensity of which revealed the cataclysmic depth of my present position. Now, as perception returned, I felt the entire weight gone, and realized upon rolling over, but although I was still tied, gagged, and blindfolded, some agency had removed completely the suffocating hempen landslide which had overwhelmed me. The significance of this condition, of course, came to me only gradually, but even so, I think it would have brought unconsciousness again, had I not, by this time, reached such a state of emotional exhaustion that no new horror could make much difference. I was alone here, but with what? Before I could torture myself with any new reflection, or make any fresh effort to escape from my bonds, an additional circumstance became manifest. Pains not formally felt were racking my arms and legs, and I seemed coated with a profusion of dried bloods beyond anything my former cuts and abrasions would have furnished. My chest, too, seemed pierced by a hundred wounds, as though some malign, titanic ibis had been pecking at it. Assuredly, the agency which had removed the rope was a hostile one, and had begun to wreak terrible injuries upon me, when somehow impelled to desist. Yet at the time my sensations were distinctly the reverse of what one might expect. Instead of sinking into a bottomless pit of despair, I was stirred to a new courage and action, for now I felt that the evil forces or physical things which a fearless man might even encounter on a normal day. On the strength of this thought, I tugged again at my bonds and used all the art of a lifetime to free myself, as I had so often done amidst the glare of lights and the applause of vast crowds. The familiar details of my escaping process commenced to engross me, and now that the long rope was gone, I half regained my belief that the supreme horrors were hallucinations after all, and that there had never been any terrible shaft, measureless abyss, or interminable rope. Was I, after all, in the gateway temple of Kefren beside the Sphinx, and had the sneaking Arabs stolen in to torture me as I lay helpless there? At any rate, I must be free.
let me stand up unbound, ungagged, and with my eyes open to catch any glimmer of light which might come trickling from any source, and I could actually delight in the combat against evil and treacherous foes. How long I took in shaking off my encumbrances I cannot tell. It must have been longer than in my exhibition performances, because I was wounded, exhausted, and enervated by the experiences I had passed through. When I was finally free, and taking deep breaths of a chill, damp, evilly spiced air, all the more horrible when encountered without the screen of gag and blindfold edges, I found that I was too cramped and fatigued to move at once. There I lay, trying to stretch a frame bent and mangled for an indefinite period, and straining my eyes to catch a glimpse of some ray of light which would give a hint as to my position. By degrees, my strength and flexibility returned, but my eyes beheld nothing. As I staggered to my feet, I peered diligently in every direction, yet met only an ebony blackness, as great as that I had known when blindfolded. I tried my legs, blood encrusted beneath my shredded trousers, and found that I could walk, yet could not decide in which direction to go. Obviously, I ought not walk at random, and perhaps retreat directly from the entrance I sought. So I paused to note the direction of the cold, fetid, natron-scented air current which had never ceased to feel. Accepting the point of its source as the possible entrance to the abyss, I strove to keep track of this landmark and to walk consistently toward it. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. Good night.